All right, so who here is a first-time recipient of the Mother's Day flower? I think there's maybe a couple back in the baby room. I'm going to test to see if they listen back in the baby room or not. Give me, uh, ladies in the baby room, give me a wave if you can hear me. Heidi, ah, she is waving, good. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) They are listening, good. Leanne feels extra blessed today on Mother's Day. Uh, She's been receiving the flowers for a little while, but we have a third on the way, of course. And she said this morning that she also feels an extra special Mother's Day because uh, in the African tradition, uh, no matter your age, they consider their pastor couple their mother and their father. And so Zoe and Felicia and William and, and now the new family... Even though they're older than us, they call us mother and father. And so Leanne's had to get used to being called mother by two women older than her. But uh, she's quite enjoyed the role, I think. And so it's been, it's been a real blessing this year to be able to extend our family that way as well. Let's uh, unite our hearts in prayer once more as we enter God's word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that by it we have everything we need to guide our lives. We have your truth. And we have your spirit to help us understand, and most importantly, the power to live it out. And so I pray, Lord, that this morning you would speak through these simple words of mine. Bless them, open our hearts to receive and be encouraged by them. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as should come as no surprise, this is a Mother's Day sermon. I'm preaching it without apology, for quite simply, without the time-honored institution of motherhood, I wouldn't be here. And neither would you. Neither would anyone for that matter. In fact, consider this little piece of trivia that the only two people who have ever existed in the history of the world were... Anyone? Adam and Eve. And I just wonder, like, how did Adam find his socks? Oh, he didn't have any socks, right. That was later that he needed socks. They're the only ones who lived life without the benefit of a mother. But now, as this is a Mother's Day sermon, as with every Mother's Day sermon, the preacher must begin with some disclaimers. And this one's no exception, because for some, motherhood is an accident, and not always a welcome one. For some, biological motherhood simply isn't possible, and it's a void in their life, as it was for Hannah in our video. For some, their mothers weren't all that kind to them. They maybe don't have fond memories of their mother, Or perhaps their mothers were absent entirely. For some, motherhood, even under the very best of circumstances, is still full of trials and difficulties. And so before we gloss over the institution of motherhood as something magical and Disney fairy tale-like, we need to acknowledge these realities. And so now with all of those qualifications, the question is sometimes asked, why bother with Mother's Day at all? Well, I'll tell you why. For all of the physical pain, postpartum depression, and sleepless nights, for all the soiled carpets, soiled diapers, and runny noses, for all the school projects, trips to sporting events, and trips to the ER, what we're honoring today is a beautiful and core component of God's creative design to bring each child into this world under the love, care, and nurture of a mother. And God not only created, but then personally affirmed the vital role of mothers when 
God's own son, the Lord Jesus, was born, thrived, and grew under the care of a godly mother. But of course, as we've already said, this doesn't mean that being a mother is easy. In fact, far from it. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, had perhaps the most challenging mothering assignment of all, as she had to guide her son, the savior of the world, and to understand the difference between her role as a mother wanting to protect her son and his role to be the savior of the world, to die as the Lamb of God upon that cross. Mothering is full of challenges. Now, I debated about whether to do this or not, but I'm going to give it a try, so you'll have to allow me to try my hand at German this morning. The poet Wilhelm, i got to remember to pronounce my W's with a V, Wilhelm Busch, the poet, he summarizes motherhood well like this. This is what he wrote. Mutter werden ist nicht schwer, Mutter sehen dagegen sehr. Anyone got that? A couple of people are nodding. That's good. I'll give you my loose translation. To become a mother is not so hard. But on the other hand, being a mother is very much so. So that's kind of the, the gist of it. Tanya's nodding her head. Did I, how was my pronunciation? Was it okay? I did it right. Great. I was listening to the audio. I was trying to get it right. Okay. So this morning, rather than talk more about why mothers are so important, I think we've already stressed that this morning, I want to offer some encouragement, some practical encouragement to the mothers who right now are in the trenches of raising families. But I also would just add for those of us who are non-mothers, don't tune out just yet because I hope we can all get something out of this as well. We're going to look at the story of a single mother in the most desperate of situations. She is facing imminent starvation of her own son and herself. And we're going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 and dive into this story that Matt read for us a little bit earlier. So please take your Bibles and turn there with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. And there we receive this introduction to the story in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, of course, to fill in a little bit, most of you will be familiar with the story. King Ahab and his wife, Queen Jezebel, are described as doing more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any other king that had gone before them. And they turn the entire nation of Israel to the worship of the false gods Baal and Asherah. And we could get into the details of of Baal and Asherah and all of the the despicable practices that the worship of them entailed. And they led the people into this great evil. And so God warns the people to turn back to him. And he does this through Elijah. He sends Elijah to the king. He tells them that there's going to be a prolonged drought in the land. And this inevitably causes the crops to fail and the people begin to starve And as is always the case, in all times of drought or famine or hardship, it's always the poor, the people on the lowest rung of society's ladder who suffer the most and who suffer first. And in this story, we see that playing out. Now, needless to say, Elijah's pronouncement of no rain doesn't make him very popular with King Ahab. King Ahab, of course, wants to arrest Elijah, but Elijah runs for his life, and following God's directions, he hides himself by the brook Kareth. Now the brook is a small tributary on the east side of the Jordan River. 
And while there, God famously provides for the prophet Elijah in the most unlikely of ways. When morning and evening he sends ravens, the sort of bird that you see picking at dead animals' carcasses on the side of the road or in the field, unclean birds at that, he uses them as his pizza delivery service. Well, it wasn't quite pizza, was it? It was meat. But it must have been good meat, unspoiled meat, because we're told that it was through this means that Elijah is sustained. He is fed by morning and evening, the ravens delivering him food. And of course, he drinks the water from the brook Kareth. But then in verses 7 to 9, we read this. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Now, the first thing you need to know is that the town of Zarephath is not a town in Israel. This is not a a Jewish town. This is a Gentile town. And this town is located along the Mediterranean Sea coast in what is today the tiny state of Lebanon. So you know where Lebanon is, kind of sandwiched right between Israel and Syria. It's just a tiny little country. This is where the town of Zarephath was located. And it is there that the Lord organizes the most unlikely of meetings between a hungry prophet and a desperate, starving mother. In verses 10 to 11, we read this. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now, the first thing I'd like to point out to you here is that this mother is an anonymous nobody. She is anonymous, nameless, and from all appearances, nobody cares about her. And here we see this woman so kind and ready to bring a prophet a drink of water, someone she's never met before, a stranger to her, but immediately, it says, without a word of protest, she stands up and goes immediately to bring him a drink of water. This woman must have had a lovely name, yet both her name and that of her son are not given anywhere in the story. To be sure, the prophet Elijah, who later on lived with them for so long, must have come to know them quite well. But he has left us with no clue as to their identities. Even the Lord, who has his names engraved on the palms of our hands, the word says, Even God does not lift the curtain of anonymity, but simply refers to this woman as a widow. That's it. That's her description in the story, and so she's become known as the widow of Zarephath. Now, what we do know about this woman, though she is nameless, what we do know immediately upon being introduced to her is that she has three strikes against her right out of the gate. Strike number one, she is a Gentile. As a Gentile, so far as the Jews were concerned, she is dirt. No, in fact, she is less than dirt because dirt has a purpose. Dirt can be used for growing things. No, to the Jewish people, this Gentile woman is literally nothing and no one. That's strike number one. Strike number two, she is a woman and a widow. Now, the definition of a nobody, right beside it would have been this woman's picture if she had one. She has no social standing as a woman in that culture. Women are, of course, considered less than men, even to this very day in that part of the world. 
no social standing, but then to compound that problem, she is a widow, which means she has zero social standing. The definition of a nobody. Strike number two. And then strike number three. Because of the drought, she cannot provide for her young son. In fact, she has literally scraped the bottom of her barrel of resources. It is completely dry and and bare. And she says that her and her son are going to have their last meager meal together. And then they're prepared to starve to death. In verse 12, she replies to the prophet's request for bread this way. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now at this point, there's so many unanswered questions that we don't know. We don't know the backstory of this woman. We don't know what lengths she has gone to up until this point to provide for her and her son. We don't know what she's done. But we can rest assured that as a mother, she has done anything and everything in her power to feed herself and her son. I can't help but think of some of the stories that that Zoe has shared with us of her time as a refugee in Africa. And how in those times, when there was a little bit of food to be found, it went to her son, not to her. And we've seen videos of that. We here in Canada can't even imagine what it's like to be in that sort of a situation. And yet here this woman is. She is in that situation. And we can only imagine what she has done already in moving heaven and earth to remedy her situation. But now she says, it's the end. We are going to die. A mother's determination can never be underestimated. A mother's determined devotion for her child is exemplified in the account of this story of two warring tribes in the Andes Mountains many, many years ago. Now, one tribe lived in the lowlands, in the plains below the Andes Mountains, while the other tribe lived high up in the mountains. And one day, the mountain people invaded the lowlanders, and as part of their plunder, they kidnapped a baby boy, and they took him back with them up into the mountains. Now, the lowlanders wanted to rescue the baby, but they didn't know the first thing about how to climb the mountains or how to traverse the steep terrain. Even so, they sent out their best fighting men to climb the mountain and rescue the baby. Well, the men tried first one method of climbing and then another. They tried one trail and then another. And after several days of effort and getting nowhere, they had only made it several hundred feet up the mountainside. Feeling hopeless and helpless, the lowland men decided the cause was lost, and they prepared to return to the village the next morning. But as they were packing their gear for their descent early the next morning, they were shocked to see the baby's mother walking down toward them from high above on the mountainside. And then as she drew closer, they saw that she had her baby boy strapped safely to her back. Well, how could this be? They were shocked and amazed. And one man called out to her and said, We couldn't climb this mountain. How did you do this when we, the strongest and most able men in the village, weren't able to? And the mother simply shrugged her shoulders and said, It wasn't your baby. That is a mother's devotion. Where men tried and couldn't find a way, a mother would not be deterred. It was her baby, and she found a way. 
And we can be quite sure that the widow of Zarephath, as a mother, has gone to similar and great lengths to keep her son alive. But at this point, the drought has been going on for almost three years. She has exhausted every speck of her determination, resourcefulness, and energy. Now, often in that culture, a widow would have a family member take care of her, or at least help in some way. It was often custom that the deceased, uh, the deceased husband's brother would actually marry the widow in the family in order to make sure that she was taken care of. But this woman clearly had no one who had been able to do something like that for her, and no one else who cares. Her son is her only hope for the future, that if she can keep this son, son alive long enough that he can grow up, he could potentially provide for her. Her son is her sole hope, but she knows that if he dies, they die. And if they die, she knows no one will notice. Just another nameless mother and child with nothing and no one to mourn them. You can just hear the exhaustion and the despair in her voice. I am gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now for those of you listening today who are mothers, you likely know a little bit of what this woman was feeling like in those moments. You likely know what it's like to feel anonymous and on your own and at the end of your resources, whether physically, financially, or emotionally. Your work is most often done behind the scenes, with little fanfare or recognition, rarely mentioned by name or noticed, unless, of course, you are absent for some reason and then everything goes wrong and where's mom? But you know what it's like to be anonymous and to be at the end of your resources. You know, I often feel for Leanne whenever she is inevitably introduced as Danny's wife or the pastor's wife. Sometimes there's no help for it, as I'm the frame of reference. After all, I'm the one up on the platform every week, and she's the one in the back or in the baby room. But if there's any hint that relative anonymity diminishes her importance, I'll simply say this. There is no pastor on the platform without her. It's not my ministry, it's our ministry. Yes, we have different roles, but quite simply, my role does not happen without Leanne doing her role. So if you're a mother here today who feels anonymous or unappreciated or as though your role doesn't matter, I want you to know that from God's perspective, your role is just as vital as that of the prophet. Because as we will see next, the prophet does not survive the drought without the widow. And the widow and her son do not survive the drought without the prophet. Now we go back to verse 10. And here is this woman gathering sticks, and Elijah calls to her and asks for a drink. And as she is going to get the water, he adds in another request, almost as a, Oh, by the way, bring me, please, a piece of bread. I'm glad he threw the please in there, because what he was asking for was a lot more than just a simple piece of bread. Now you see, in the ancient Middle East, hospitality was a very big deal. In fact, it is to this very day. Hospitality, when it is offered, it is something that that you can count on. It is a matter of honor. So if someone asked for a drink of water, it was a rude, unspeakable act to refuse that person a drink, even to an enemy who would come to your house and ask for a drink, you would give it. Now, here she is, broke 
hungry at the end of her rope, but she still has her dignity, her honor, and she can perform this simple act of hospitality. And so as she heads for the water jar, he calls out, and could you please bring me some bread? Now this is a step further. To give away her last bread, this is another thing altogether. The first request was a courtesy. The second was asking literally for the life of her son. Verses 12 and 13, Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Here we see Elijah is asking for the impossible. He asks to be fed first. Before the mother and her son, he says, bring me some bread. And this will take all she has. But he wants her to make the cake, bring it to him, and then go back, he says, and make the other cakes. So here we see she cannot divide what is left to make sure that There's some left over for her and her son. She cannot make the cakes and then change her mind when she sees there's not enough left over. She must give away everything that she has first and then trust that somehow there will be enough left over for her and her son. Now, by all human logic and common sense, in doing so, she is choosing death for herself and her son. But God, he defies our logic. You see, we see faith as holding on to what we have when God sees faith as letting go. And this woman is at a classic crossroad of faith. Common sense would say, keep what you have and stay alive just a little bit longer. Hold on to life, cling to it as long as you can. But the call of faith is, give away your last piece of bread to a perfect stranger, remember, She doesn't know this man. Give away your last piece of bread to a perfect stranger and trust that God will provide for your needs afterward. And I suspect that mothers face crossroads like these perhaps at a higher rate than the average non-mother population. The simple fact is mothers are expected to be the givers and all around them are the takers. From babies to teenagers, from husbands to employers, from friends to service groups, it's take, 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 and mothers give, 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 give. And that's the way our world is set up. And very often, mothers receive little give in return. And it's clear that the widow has had no one giving anything to her in a very long time. And so now here is another stranger wanting to take the very last thing that she has and asking her to believe in a God that she probably doesn't even know. What is she going to do? What would you expect her to do? What would you do in her shoes? Well, we read in verse 15 what she does. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. Now we need to stop right here and consider that small sentence. What just happened here? Did you see the giant leap of faith? This is massive. It may look small to us. It's just some bread. But this is all that she has. This is her life. And she takes a massive leap of faith and goes and does 
as Elijah has asked of her. And so here we see that either this woman was just utterly suicidal, she'd just given up and said, fine, I'm just going to give it away and we're just going to go and die. Or there was what Jesus would refer to much later on as a mustard seed of faith that took root in her heart in that moment. It doesn't make sense, it defies logic and the survival instinct. And yet here she turns and brings Elijah the bread without a word of protest. What incredible faith. Instead of holding on to what she had left, she let go. She let go, and then look what God does next. Verse 15, the second half, says, So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Verse 16, For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now, mothers, God's provision for this mother exemplifies his provision for you. There is always just enough for each day. Not more, not less, but just enough. But the catch is we must trust him for it. And so, mothers, let me ask you, what is God asking you to trust him with today? What is he asking you to let go of so that he can show you more fully his power to provide for you each day? Now, I could go on to list some suggestions, but I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally on this matter. What is he asking you to let go of? Maybe anxiety, depression, worry for the future, needing to control things, needing to manage things, and just asking you to let go and to trust him to provide. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is whispering to you today. Like this woman, I want to encourage you to let go and trust God to provide for you each day. Are you ready to follow this widow's example? If you are, I believe that you too will see God's provisions in your life. One handful of flour, one jar of oil at a time. Never too much, but always just enough for each day. And so now each day this miracle goes on. Day after day after day, just as Elijah has said, each day she goes to that flour jar, she goes to that oil jar, and there's always just a little bit, just enough. And life goes on. Life is good. But then, in all of this, the woman's newfound faith is tested in the most drastic of ways. Verse 17, we read that sometime later, the son becomes gravely ill. He grows worse and worse, and finally he stops breathing. She is devastated. Verse 18, she says to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? So here we see this woman who has had an amazing leap of faith and then seen the same miracle repeat itself on a daily basis is now undone by the death of her son. It's just too much and she lashes out at Elijah. But notice that Elijah handles her so graciously. He doesn't rebuke her for her harsh words. He doesn't correct her. All he says to her, verse 19, Give me your son. Give me your son. If you are a mother here today, you know that that mother clinging to her lifeless son's body, she did not give up that boy. She did not give up that boy easily. 
She did not give up that boy lightly to the prophet. It took everything she had in that moment to trust that in giving this boy up to the prophet, that perhaps somehow, some way, what appeared to be the end of hope, the end of life as she knew it, her son was dead, that somehow in letting go of her son, that maybe, just maybe, he could do something. And so again, here she is, helpless and hopeless. What does she do? She lets go. Elijah takes her son in his own arms. He takes him to his own room. He lays him on his bed. And then stretching himself out three times over the boy, he prays this prayer. O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. O Lord my God, let this this boy's life return to him. And then a third time, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And we know the outcome. God hears his three prayers. God answers his prayers. The breath comes back into the boy. The son lives. He is returned to his mother. Talk about a Mother's Day present. If there was ever a Mother's Day, that was Mother's Day. This woman had a leap of faith when the flour and oil wouldn't run out, but this time it's different. Giving up her son and having him then restored to her, restored back to life, to call it a leap of faith doesn't do it justice. It is a cementing of faith. You know what she had to do to believe before, but this, this is something else entirely. In verse 24, we see this. When the woman says to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. You know, before I suppose she suspected it was all real, but clearly she still had her doubts. But now with her son's resurrection at hand, there is no denying it. The word of the Lord is the truth. I think we all start out this way as baby Christians. We have a moment where we come to an initial mustard seed of faith moment, and we see it in small ways, but there will come a time of testing where we have to again exercise faith in a greater way. And when God comes through, there's an added layer of knowledge. Before it's, I'm pretty sure I believed, but now I know God's word is the truth. There is nothing in this life that I can face from this moment forward where I will again doubt God's word is the truth. His provisions are for me today, and we can count on them. So to all of you mothers here today, Let me encourage you, stop holding on to what you have, thinking that by doing so, you will have more. Instead, believe God's word is the truth, let go, and watch how God will multiply his provisions for you and your family each and every day. This is the Lord's way, it is his will, it is his word, and it is the truth that we can count on. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this incredible story. Thank you, Lord, that this word, this truth, is for us today. Thank you that when we lay hold of it by faith, we can see the reality of your provision in our lives. So please grant us the faith to let go, thinking that somehow by clinging to what we have, we'll have more. But instead, in faith, let go and see how you will provide. Please multiply your provisions and your blessings, Lord, in the life of each mother and each family, each child, each husband, 
represented here today. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.